invite you to pray with me. I'm going to pray a little bit. And then uh, at the end of that, I will uh, begin the Lord's Prayer and invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer with me. It'll be on the screen. God, thank you for creating us in such a way that we're not really fully whole or fully human until we come and meet with you, until we express our gratitude to you. So we say thank you, God, uh, until we express our need to you. Uh, that's one of the reasons we're here, God, is to say we need you. And until we uh, just express our awe and our um, admiration, our adulation for you, God, we praise you. Something was happening in these last moments because of our praise, meeting your ears, joining in with the angels. Thank you, God, for letting us do things like that while we're here. And while we're here, God, we uh, are praying and asking you for help, for healing, for binding up in broken places. We're asking you for dreams and visions, for courage for the future. We're asking you to meet us in our lonely places, in our grief, and our expectation. You're such a good God. I don't even know how to say it, God. I don't know how to put it into words. But we love you. And we need you. That's why we're here. So thank you for these words from the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Oh, a special welcome to each of you. We're so glad that you're here at Providence Church. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, a special welcome if you're here for the first time. I know we have guests that are here for the first time. Thank you. We're glad that you came. You're always welcome here. And we'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, as you go through these doors here, there's a place that says welcome guest, and we have a gift there for you. Also, a welcome to those who are joining us online at this time. We welcome you. Uh, thanks for being so faithful and joining us in those kind of ways. Today, I want to tell you about the anointing of David the anointing of Doug, and the anointing of Jesus. Okay? The anointing of David, the anointing of Doug, and the anointing of Jesus. There was a time when the people of God, this is a long, long time ago, the people of God were crying out for a king. They wanted a king like the other nations. So the people of God didn't have a, a human king, but they saw these other uh, nations that did, and they wanted a king. And so they brought this request before the old prophet Samuel. And they said, Samuel, we want a king, like a man king, like these other places. And Samuel said, no, 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 you don't. He said, he said, we have a king. Our king is Yahweh. Our king is the Lord. We don't need a human king. But they said, actually, that's what we really want. We see these other nations with kings that go into battle. We want that kind, like a king that would ride on a horse with us into battle. And Samuel says, 
Uh, no, you don't. And he gave this long list of all the reasons, you may be able to think of some, why you don't want a human king. All the ways that they let you down. And Samuel shared all that with the people of God, and they insisted on a human king. So Samuel brought that request to the Lord, and he said, I know this is not good. You're our king. I get that, all that. And God said, give him a king. And so the first king of Israel was named Saul. He looked the part. He was tall. He was strong. He was smart. Uh, Samuel anointed him. Saul came into leadership. He was good in many ways, but he also was insecure and um, sort of arrogant in ways. And then he got all this fear about all these other people. And Saul's heart betrayed him. And he ended up being a bad king. So God said, I'm going to give the people of Israel another king, the next king. So he calls to Samuel and says, you have to go find the new king. And Samuel's like, I'm in retirement. (laughs) You know, he's like, I'm an old prophet. I'm not up for this. And God said, you have to go. And so Samuel goes to the little town of Bethlehem. That's where God sent him, where there was a sheep herding family, a man, the father of the family's name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And one of those sons would become the next king of Israel. So old Samuel comes into Bethlehem and they're terrified. They're afraid. Why is the great prophet coming to us? Is he bringing some kind of judgment? He says, no, I'm coming to find the next king. He finds the house of Jesse. He stands there before him. The sons are there. The first son that comes before Samuel, his name is Eliab. He's tall. He's strong. He's smart. Samuel thinks this is going to be easy. He looks at Eliab and God says, not this one. So the next son comes. They're just like lined up. The next son comes. His name is Abinadab. Abinadab looks, okay, he'll probably work. Samuel stands before him and God says, not this one. The next son's name was Shema. Shema comes and stands. He stands before him and, and God speaks through Samuel and says, not this one either. Four more sons stand before Samuel. No, 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 no. Samuel asked Jesse, got any more sons? And Jesse says, yeah, of course I have. I have one more son. Someone had to stay in the fields and watch the sheep. My youngest son. One of my favorite lines in the Bible, Samuel says, we will not sit until he arrives. The whole town stands. The family stands. The brothers stand while a couple of brothers run out into the fields to find David. And they find David. He's a little, he's a boy. He's watching the sheep and they're hollering out to him, David, David, the great prophet Samuel has come to Bethlehem, to our town, to our father's house. And he, I can't believe I'm saying this. He's asking for you. Samuel, I mean, David jumps to his feet, freckled faced, redhead boy. And he runs back to Bethlehem. And comes and stands before Samuel, his heart beating out of his chest because of the run and his heart beating out of his chest because of the moment. All of his brothers are standing and watching. The whole town is there. Samuel looks at David and God says, this is the one. Samuel, without flinching, grabs this old horn of oil. It used to sit in the holy of holy place in the temple, this oil horn, whatever that means or looks like. And he pours out this anointing upon the little head of David, the shepherd boy, who's standing there now with oil dripping off his chin with all of his brothers watching the new, next, soon-to-be king of Israel, the anointing. Of David. Let me read it to you. This is the verse when David comes and stands before Samuel. The Lord says, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. 
So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brother. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Yeah, I forgot to say, this wasn't just an oil moment. That's not what was dripping off of David's forehead. The spirit of the Lord was on him powerfully from that moment forward because of the anointing. An anointing can change your labels. What do I mean by that? When God speaks and speaks over you and sets you apart from that day forward, you can't carry the same labels you had before. They would have said to David, you're just a boy, but he says, I'm anointed. They would have said, you're, you're a musician. He's like, I'm the king in waiting, according to Samuel. You know? they, they would say, you're the youngest of all the brothers. He says, I'm anointed. There becomes a time where David becomes a fugitive on the run because Saul still exists as the king and he's trying to get the next king. David is a fugitive on the run, but as he's running, he's still kind of always saying, but I'm anointed. God said, you're different, David. You're holy. You're set apart. That makes no sense. It doesn't matter. God spoke it. God did it. God anointed the boy, the anointing of David. Now I want to tell you about the anointing of Doug. And many of you have heard this story. I tell the same stories over and over again. That's my thing, okay? Uh, And so many of you have heard this. I think that's great. I'll tell it to you again. My first middle of the night pastor call. The first call I ever got as a pastor in the middle of the night was from a mother who told me that two of our teenagers, we were a brand new church. We just started meeting. We had two teenagers, both of them, Doug and Michael had been in a terrible accident right out here on Central Pike and were being life flighted to Vanderbilt. I got that call in the middle of the night. It was my first time to drive to the hospital. I found these two families huddled in that cavernous Vanderbilt Medical Center lobby. I went and sat down with them. There was a Gideon Bible sitting on the table. I picked it up and I read to us the 23rd Psalm. And while we were down there, we learned that Doug's neck was broken. A couple of days later, I was in the trauma unit ICU hanging out with the family when the doctor came in and said, Doug will never walk again. As that doctor exited uh, that room, Joe, who was Doug's uncle and guardian, said to me, Pastor, will you anoint my son and pray that he will be healed? I had never done that before. I didn't have any oil on me. I don't even know that I had it in me, to be honest. But I went to the sink and I took a little water in my hand and I went over to Doug. He's a senior in high school. His brow was covered in perspiration. He had these big braces on every part of his neck and body. And I put water on his forehead and the sign of the cross and I said, I anoint you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and I pray that you'd be healed. And nothing happened. A couple of months later, Doug was transported to a place called the Shepherd Center in Atlanta. It's a wonderful spinal injury place. And I went and visited Doug there some. He was improving, but it was really slow, almost excruciatingly slow. You know, half of his body was paralyzed. Can he move his hand? Can he squeeze this? And I knew he was getting better, but I did not know the day that his aunt and uncle, Patsy and Joe, brought Doug back to where our church was worshiping, Stoner Creek Elementary at the time. We were less than a year old. And Doug walked in to the back of the room, interrupted my sermon. (laughs) And as he came down the middle aisle on a walker, that little baby church stood and cheered. It's a moment I'll never forget. And somebody took a picture. Yeah. (laughs) A few months ago, 
I was standing in a suit up before another group of people. It was Doug's wedding. And um, Doug is now a Christian counselor. He went to college. He got a graduate degree. He counsels teenagers in our community. Can you imagine a young person coming to him and saying, you would have no idea what it's like for your life to be upended. You would have no idea what I'm feeling. And Doug can speak to them in the moment because of his wounds. He's still impaired in some ways. He walks with a limp. He's got the hand, all those kind of things. But he's brilliant. And I got to stand at his wedding. And I've done a bunch of weddings. And every time the bride comes down the aisle, everybody stands up. Well, I guess they didn't get the memo because Doug came in first. And they all stood up. <laughs> and they started cheering. You would have to. Because something that we had dreamed about and prayed about was happening. I have a picture from the wedding. You see, what I knew that day is that Doug is anointed. Everything we prayed for didn't happen the way we hoped it would. Trust me. Or in the timing that we hoped it would. But I know that God called him Holy, different, set apart for a purpose. An anointing can change your future. That's what happened with David. He's a shepherd boy. He plays the harp, and then all of a sudden, he's the king. It changed his future in a moment. Doug's accident that day, and then the anointing. It changed everything that would come after it. But the reason I'm telling you about it today is because it changed our church. Why do you tell this over and over? That moment changed Providence Church forever because when that happened, the small group of people in that gym started believing that God could do anything and we never stopped. And we still talk about miracles and we still see miracles and people say, why do you talk about miracles? How do those miracles happen? Or people are like, how does that happen with the finances? How does that happen in their marriages? How did that person get set free? And I tell them, our boy walked in the back of the gym. And so we started believing in a God that can do anything and everything. Not anything and everything we ask for or want, but what he chooses. And God anointed Doug and it changed the future. So the anointing of David, the anointing of Doug. Now I want to tell you about the anointing of Jesus. John chapter 12, where we pick up in our study, says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Okay, the last time Jesus went to Bethany, it was where Lazarus had what? Died. Labels are changing, right? Labels are changing. It's where Lazarus lives, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. The last time Lazarus was described, a few verses before, it was talking about his sister. She was described as the sister of the dead man. But here it says, Lazarus is no longer the dead man. He's the one whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. If you died three weeks ago, you can recline at the table while your sister is in the kitchen, okay? If you didn't die three weeks ago, you should probably get up and help. But Lazarus, I mean, he's chilling, right? He is, he's like, three weeks ago, I was in the tomb, man. I was mummified. I was wrapped up. They said I was stinking. So you guys take care of the dishes. I'm just going to hang here with Jesus at the table. And then... Mary changed the party. 
Have you ever been at a, a party and one person changes it forever? You know, like one person does something and you're like, this party will forever be known for that. You know, that's what, maybe not. Okay, uh, that, that's what happens with Mary. It, it's crazy. They're, they're hanging out with Jesus at the table. Martha's cooking, all that. And it says, Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. An almost, you know, scandalous moment where Mary changes the party. What is Mary doing? She carries out this nard. um, It was called spike nard. And it would have been, uh, you know, like we have essential oils. It has a distinctive smell, has healing properties. Well, this type of nard was the nard of a king's class. It's hard to even imagine how this family would have even had it. It was the Tiffany diamonds of perfume. It was worth a year's wages, this 12-ounce amount that she had. For them to have it would have been a family jewel. For her to pour it out would have been unthinkable. And yet Mary, in the moment, comes and pours it all out on Jesus' feet. And then strangely takes her hair and begins to wipe the feet of Jesus. What is she doing? What, what is this moment? Well, Jesus raised her brother from the dead. Who knows if she thought it all out or maybe she planned it a week ago. But she was specific and intentional and she poured out their riches on the feet of Jesus. The next scripture, though, says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Jesus, uh, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And then Jesus says, leave her alone. How would you like to heard that? Jesus said, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I told you a few weeks ago that when somebody goes all in for Jesus, when they pour it all out, I mean, when they do crazy stuff, right? And they're like, this is my thing. This is, this is everything. Jesus is everything to me. And when somebody, when somebody does that, the people who are closest to that person will feel uncomfortable. And that's what happened. She's wiping his feet with her hair, pouring out their expensive perfume, and everybody kind of recoils a little bit and thinks, this feels like a bit much. They were not quite willing to receive it, but you know what Jesus does? Jesus receives the anointing. He says, yeah, this is good. He says, she's preparing me for my purpose. Jesus recognizes the anointing as something that is preparing him for what he actually came to do. An anointing prepares you for your purpose. This this is what I wanted to say to you today. Some of you are stuck. You know it. Some of you are stuck right now in in grief and physical pain, you know, And something that just is not settled. Or maybe it's just that continually every time you get through one hard thing, there's another hard thing and you just feel stuck. Well, here's what I wanted to tell you today. You will not be able to work hard enough to get yourself out of it. 
you will not be able to grit your teeth and just get up again and get up again and get yourself through it. Here's something else that won't work right now. Shaming yourself over and over and over. Why am I still here? Why am I still dealing with this? Why? And, and we pour that shame. That's not, that's not it. Another thing that won't work right now is for you to give up. That's not an option for you right now. Here's what you need. What you need right now in this moment is an anointing. You need to be anointed. You need some labels to change. You need your future to look different in your mind's eye right now and a belief in your heart. You need your purpose to change, and it's only going to change. The only way it's going to change is if we let the Holy Spirit of God fall on us, fill us, heal us, and empower us. We can't do it. We can't get ourselves through it. But if we would allow ourselves to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, a new kind of filling, a new healing, a new empowerment that only comes through the supernatural power of Jesus. You may be thinking, I'm not anointed. I have different news for you, okay? John says in one of his other letters, so John who wrote the gospel, I said these other letters, in 1 John, he, he writes and says, as for you, uh, he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. Let me say that again. You have an anointing. You have an anointing, believer. If you believe in Jesus, your heart was sealed with the Holy Spirit and you're anointed. And all of you know the truth, it says. Let's read on. It says, as for you, the anointing that you received from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. There's an anointing. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm almost done, like, because I'm, I'm not going to, uh, if it says you don't need a teacher, I'm going to run off the stage here, okay? Well, there's some things you need me to teach you about and you to teach me, but what we're talking about here is the thing that no human can teach you. It's what the Holy Spirit teaches you when you're anointed. There's actually a work God can do in you that's above any human teaching you. It's the Holy Spirit speaking deep unto your deep parts and spirit unto spirit. The next verse says, but as his, anointed, as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So how do we, how do we, we receive the anointing as believers, but how do we stay in it? We remain in Jesus. So I really am, I'm done. I really am done. Uh, what we're going to do this morning is a bit different from our custom and we're gonna allow you to come and be anointed. The Bible also teaches that the elders of the church can come and anoint the sick, anoint those who are broken, anoint those who need the Holy Spirit. And so we're gonna believe and do something that's biblical and spiritual and a bit weird. Um, and so uh, weird pastors, y'all come, uh, and they're uh, gonna take these bowls and they're gonna separate out here. And you're just gonna be invited to come it's gonna feel like a mess, okay? We're not doing ushers, we're not doing row by row, it's just if you wanna come, what we're gonna do is put oil on your forehead in the sign of a cross or on your, on your hand if you like. And here's the words, we're gonna say, I anoint you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, praying that God would give you hope, healing, wholeness in Jesus Christ. So if you need healing today, come forward and receive prayer. If you need a different view of your future, come receive prayer. I, I'll just stop and say, you know if you need to come and receive.
come and receive the anointing.